Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on our last podcast, I finished my discussion on Marlowe's account of the life and death of Kurtz in Africa. Now, we are not done with Marlowe yet. In fact, we'll meet him again in our next book titled Lord Jim. And we will see him in a much different way. Now, for our last two programs on Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, some of you out there might think this would never end, but it is going to end. What I want to do is I want to give you some final thoughts on Marlowe's last discussions. Now, this is important because I want you to think about this deeply. Remember, Marlowe is literally speaking for Conrad. Now, Marlowe's final discussions, I think, are Conrad's deepest thoughts about human life and what happens to most human beings. So he's really, he's really instructing us, I think, through these last discussions of Marlowe. Now, what I want to do today, I'll start my discussion just after the announcement, Mr. Kurtz, he dead. Now, on uh, my book, which is the Barnes & Noble edition, is page 116. If you're using the Bannon book, it's page 105. And uh, it, it's, it's really very interesting what Marlowe has to say here. And uh, again, let me just start reading now on page 116. It says, Mr. Coates, he dead. He goes on and says, All the pilgrims rushed out to sea. I remained and went on with my dinner. I believe I was considerably, brutally callous. However, I did not say much. There was a lamp in there, light, don't you know, and outside was so beastly, beastly dark. And so so here, you know, Kurtz is uh, dead. Um, Marlowe is having dinner. He heard that he's dead. Everybody rushed out to see him dead. Um, Marlowe did not rush out, and he uh, he believed he was considered brutally callous for doing that. But he said he didn't really want to go back to that beastly, beastly darkness. Now he goes on also to say, he says, I went no more near the remarkable man who had pronounced a judgment upon the adventures of his soul on this earth. The voice was gone. What else had been there? But I am, of course, aware that the next day the pilgrims buried something in a muddy hole, and then they very nearly buried me. And so, so essentially what, what uh, Marlowe is doing here, he's, he's, uh, obviously he knows Kurtz is dead, and it's almost like he doesn't want to lose Kurtz himself. And yet he, he knows he's lost. And what he tries to remember, Kurtz has this voice, and he says the voice is gone. And then if you notice, he said, well, I know they buried something in a muddy hole. And so, so he's not looking at Kurtz anymore as, let's say, 
someone in the flesh. He's looking at Kurtz only as this voice. But then notice he also says, and they very, and they, they, and then, excuse me, and then they very nearly buried me. So we know that, that Kurtz died. He was very sick. And now we also have revealed to us that Marlowe himself is sick. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is he was actually uh, going to be very close to death as well. And so, so now it's really interesting that I think Marlowe gets really kind of philosophical. He goes on to say, however, as you see, I did not go to join Kurtz there and then. I did not. I remained to dream the nightmare out to the end and to show my loyalty to Kurtz once more. And so these, these next couple of pages, like I said, 116, 117, uh, we get into, you know, uh, 118, 119, if you follow along, if you have the, the Bantam edition, if you follow along, you know, 105, 106, 107, 108, you know, you're, you're going to see that it just seems like, like it's a real negative um, view of, of human life. It's, it's, it's really kind of depressing in a way. And uh, I, I do think these are Conrad's own, own thoughts. And uh, this is his view of what human life is all about. But we know, especially those of us that I think uh, uh, here at Herbert W. Armstrong College, those of us in the faculty, those in the ministry, those of us that uh, you know, have been studying the Bible really for years, we know that life does not have to be depressing. And life does not have to be discouraging, but there's something we all have to face about our own selves. And uh, I, I think that's what, what uh, Conrad is driving at here. But even Conrad, I don't believe, understood it. I mean, he, he could look at it and, and see maybe the negative side, but he couldn't see, well, what is the potential of human beings? And there is an incredible human potential, and maybe by the end of these programs we'll offer you another uh, book that you can get that could help you understand this. But... Uh, uh, he, Notice that, that Kurtz, um, you know, he's once, even though he's dead, once Kurtz is no more. But now it seems like Marlowe feels like it's his job or his destiny is to stay loyal to Kurtz, even though he's dead. And remember earlier on in, in the last couple of programs, we even talked about it where, you know, the Russian who was that, uh, you know, unexplicable kind of a guy, you couldn't explain him. Even the the Russian asked Marlowe to protect Kurtz's reputation, and so so now it seems like Marlowe feels like well his destiny is to well maybe keep the voice of Kurtz alive or maybe to you know you know keep his reputation or his good reputation alive, and yet we know we know from from what we've been reading in the book that Kurtz was into all kinds of things. You know, he had he had a fiance back home, but yet he had a mistress in in Africa. We know he was supposed to be getting ivory for the company, and he was uh, you know stockpiling it for himself. Uh, we know that he believed he was there to bring uh, education, to bring a you know a more cultured civilization, a, you know, a healthier civilization to a continent that that uh, really was 
uh, not as far advanced. It was not did not have the education, and uh, he, uh, he actually joined with them. And it's it's like he he regressed. He didn't go forward. He he went backward, and so so uh, you know even uh, it, you know Marlowe says here, and if you just keep reading down the page, he says. Um, that uh, I went no more near the remarkable man who had pronounced a judgment upon the adventures of his soul on the earth. The voice was gone. What else had been there? And so, so in other words, even if, if uh, you remember back to how we described Kurtz, by the time we saw him, he was emaciated. You know, he was bald. You know, he looked like an ivory cue ball. And so, so his life, there wasn't much left, but it was, yeah, I think what uh, Marlowe was saying here, it was his ideas. But notice uh, on the same page 116, Marlowe goes on to say, droll thing life is. And, and here's how he describes it. That mysterious arrangement of merciless logic for a futile purpose. Now, again, I can't help but believe that that's not the way um, Conrad felt about life. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is, I think it's really kind of interesting, you know, what, what he's saying there. And now if you, I, I think if you look up that word droll, and I had to do that to get ready for the program today, the word droll can mean dry amusement. Also, if you, if you do a little more research on it, the, the, uh, the term droll is also the word used in... Um, let's say, uh, Puritan England, it was for a short comical sketch. And so, so you know, essentially what, what uh, Marlowe is saying here, look, life is just like this short comical sketch. You come on the scene, you know, you live a life of a kind of like pain and agony, and then you're gone. It's, it's, it's just over. And so, so uh, you know, that the, the problem that was going on in England at the time, the Puritans, cha- you know, closed down the theater, so so you couldn't have these, you know, stu- stupendous plays. Uh, but uh, the the actors were kind of left without any way of making their money, and so they would just produce these little short comical sketches, and uh, I guess try and escape from the police or whoever the uh, the people were that were, you know, trying to to shut these things down. So I, I think it's really fascinating there that that Marlowe now, because of Kurtz, he sees life as that mysterious arrangement of merciless logic for a futile purpose. And uh, again, I think there are so many people in this world feel the same way about life, and you can see it in the way they act and the way they they uh, you know live their lives. And uh, you know, most people. Um, they're they're in a constant party atmosphere, and uh, you know even Mr. Stephen Flurry was talking about some of these things today um, on the, the Trumpet Daily, where you know pornography is just so rampant in our society, and uh, uh, nobody will stop it, no government official will stop it. Um, you know it just keeps going on and on, and it's corrupting our children. It's corrupting, uh, you know adult minds, people are getting into more and more perversions, and then by the end of their lives, they're so mixed up and messed up, and they're so sad, and they're discouraged because, uh, you know, 
they've done nothing, let's say, productive with their lives. They, they don't know if there's any purpose to life, so I guess, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so, so that's what you see, I think, uh, Conrad is trying to say at the end of, at, really towards the end of this book. Now, this, this quote goes on to say, and I think it's really, really kind of interesting. Again, this is still on page, page 116. It says, The most you can hope from it is some knowledge of yourself that comes too late, a crop of unextinguishable regrets. And so, so the thing is, I know, you know, this is the way uh, Kurtz came to see it at the end. Marlowe is now following Kurtz, even though he just really spent very little time with him. Most of what he knew about Kurtz he learned from other people. But he spent just a little bit of time with him. Even the last, you know, couple of days with him, he had to try and rescue him from, you know, the uh, indigenous people there. And, uh, you know, he was very sick. And, uh, you know, at one point, Kurtz was saying, save me. And then he's uh, crawling on his hands and knees to escape to uh, the natives. And so, so uh, you know, this is what, what Marlowe is dealing with. And so, so the, the thing is, what a negative view of life. You know, you call it a crop of unextinguishable regrets. Then Marlowe tells us, he says, I have wrestled with death. It is the most unexciting contest you can imagine. It takes place in an impalpable grayness, with nothing underfoot, with nothing around, with, without spectators, without clamor, without glory, without the great desires of victory, without the great fear of defeat, is a sickly atmosphere of tepid skepticism. And so, so the, the thing is, is that the way we really want to die? Is that the way we really want to end our life? You know, um, and just not knowing, like, what is it all about? I think Marlon Brando said that right before he died. Well, what's this all about? And so, so you know, if you believe there's a greater God, do you believe that God created us to end up that way? Uh, I don't believe so. And I think there are other people out there that would agree with me. But uh, um, he goes on to say, you know, that, that there's, a, you know, the sickly atmosphere of tepid skepticism without much belief in your own right and still less than that of your adversary. If such is the form of ultimate wisdom, then life is a greater riddle than some of us think it to be. I was, in a, I was within a hair's breadth of the last opportunity for pronouncement, and I found with humiliation that probably I would have nothing to say. Now that's that's really kind of a depressing, you know, the way to look at life, and uh, you know I certainly don't want to die that way, and uh, you know I am getting older every day, every year's passing. It seems like they're passing quickly, but uh, you know I've been able to do some really exciting things in my life, and uh, you know it's it's uh, even being on this radio program. It's something I started five years ago, um, and, uh, you know, I've gotten five years older now. And, uh, you know, if you had talked to me six years ago and said I'd be doing a radio podcast for five years, I would have laughed at you. But I was challenged, and uh, I met the challenge, and I'm really enjoying it. And so, um, you know, it, it's just... a. Uh, this is the way I think people look at the look at their life. Uh, 
and uh, they don't understand it. They don't understand what human life is about. They don't understand what human life is for. Now, he goes on to say, he said, that is the reason why I affirm that Kurtz was a remarkable man. He had something to say, and he said it. Now, you have to think about what, what is he talking about, what voice. And if you remember just back to, to the last couple programs, uh, you know, the Russian would talk about staying up all night. They'd talk about all these subjects, talk about love. And really, Marlowe had no time to sit and talk with Kurtz about these things. Kurtz was so sick. So what's he talking about here? And I, I think it is interesting what, how Conrad ties this all together for us. He says, he says, since I had peeped over the edge myself, meaning he had come pretty close to death, I understand better the meaning of his stare that could not see the flame of the candle but was wide enough to embrace the whole universe, piercing enough to penetrate all the hearts that beat in the darkness. He had sum, summed up, he had judged, the horror. And so, so that's the voice that Marlowe is talking about. And uh, we know that, uh, you know, that uh, obviously Kurtz, you know, before he died, he saw that. He said, the horror, the horror. And, and again, if you look what Conrad is saying here, uh, we know that, he, that, you know, he was in a room with a candle. And re remember uh, from the last program also that that Marlowe was able to watch all this, you know, watch his life ebb away from him. But but here, you know, he calls it, you know, the big voice or the big sound that really impressed Marlowe is when he said the horror. And really, what does that mean? He goes on to say he was a remarkable man. After all, this was the expression of some sort of belief it had candor, it had conviction, it had a vibrating note of revolt in its whisper. It had the appalling face of a glimpsed truth, the strange commingling of a desire and hate. And it is not my own externity. I remember best a vision of grayness without form, filled with physical pain and a careless contempt for the evanescence of all things, even of this pain itself. So what Marlowe is saying is, is, is there's something deeper to what, to what Kurt saw to the horror than what he even saw when he was facing death. And the word evanescence means the extinguishing of all things. So, you know, when you're dead, your human life is over. But, but really, that's not it. And we have to begin to see that. That's not it to, to, uh, to your life or my life when our physical life is over. It's really not over. And in many ways, if you really, really understand the Bible the way God wants you to understand it, it's just the beginning of life. And, uh, you know, there, there's so many things here that I think that even Conrad didn't understand. And, and uh, you can almost see that he's dealing with some of these things. And I know that even Conrad in his life, I mean, he had such a horrible childhood uh, I know that he was, uh, you know, he, he was a captain or, you know, the head of a ship, and he did he did sail. And uh, I think when, when he was in the Congo as well, he did get sick. And so, so uh, you know, when, you're, when you are laying there close to death, you do want to, 
you know understand about well what where's the where's the future and uh the, the thing i think that the one of the things that we need to take from this book is is like um if, if we have to if we're honest uh you know what was missing in kurtz's life or what was even missing in marlowe's life and what's really missing in the vast majority of people in this world, what's missing in their lives, is there's no direction from God in their lives. I mean, you can read Heart of Darkness from beginning to end, and you never hear the mention of God. Now you hear the mention of the universe. And uh, the thing that I think what what's really going on here is the reason why Kurt said the horror, the horror, is he finally came to understand the depth of the evil in his own heart. And that's the horror. That's the horror. But it's it's almost like, um, you know, he, he uh, it's like he's having a deathbed repentance. He, he looked at his own life and he called it the horror, the horror. And that's, that's why uh, Marlowe is talking about this statement of truth. You know, there was truth. And there, there is truth there. Uh, you know, if we really, if we really want to to uh, analyze it, is is uh, you know there are times my life has been a horror, and then you know you have to kind of wake up and realize, hey, you know, there's got to be something I'm not doing right, and I think finally at the end of at the end of Kurtz's life, or yeah, at the end of his life, um, again, now this is all fiction, but. But uh, we just have to think about Kurtz, and we have to think about Marlowe, and then remember these are two characters that were created by Conrad. So, so we're getting a man's thoughts. Now, uh, I was uh, in my English literature class today, and we're covering the play Hamlet by uh, you know William Shakespeare, and I was also at the same time thinking about you know how I'm going to cover this program today, and to me. What what Marlowe is saying here about Kurtz is it's very similar to what Hamlet says in, in in the play Hamlet, and there's a very famous soliloquy that Hamlet does deliver in this play, and it's a, it's probably uh, more likely called to be or not to be uh, soliloquy. But let me just read to you a little bit from that. It says to be or not to be that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them. To die, to sleep, no more, and by a sleep to say we end, the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh are heir to, tis a consummation devoutly to be wished, to die, to sleep. And so so the, the thing is, um, you know, um, there are, I mean, the, the, this one phrase he uses, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, that means that there's someone other than God governing his life. And it's outrageous fortune. In other words, it's, it's, it gets back to, you know, even at the beginning, you know, when we got into the book about the, you know, the, uh, the, the two ladies, you know, knitting, and they're, you know, they're part of these, uh, you know, mythical you know, creatures from Greece that, you know, they decide how long your life's going to live. You know, they decide, you know, how, how long you're going to be able to, uh, you know, do things. And, uh, you know, but that's not 
that's just all paganism. But there is a God in heaven that does want to direct our lives. And, uh, you know, we should really enjoy it, be enjoying our life, but also know that a, a physical life has to come to an end. And, of course, I think, uh, you know, Conrad is um, kind of, in you know, talking here about, you know, the immortal soul. And, of course, we know from the Bible there is no such thing as an immortal soul. And, uh, you know, uh, but there will be a spirit life for all humans who die and, uh, you know, who die... Uh, in a repentant attitude, and they they uh, look to God for salvation. And uh, you know, he, he just goes goes on to talk a little bit more about this. I think in this, um, you know, I'll, I'll be moving over to page one seventeen now, and it says, um, you know, he, he, uh, this is Marlowe speaking for himself. He says, "No, it is his extremity that I seem to have lived." He's talking about Kurtz now lived through. True, he had made the last stride. He had stepped over the edge while I had been permitted to draw back my hesitating foot. And perhaps in this whole difference, perhaps all the wisdom, all the truth, and all the sincerity uh, are just compressed into that inappreciable moment of time in which we step over the threshold of the invisible. And so so essentially what, uh, what Marlowe thinks has happened is that, that as Kurtz was dying, you know, he saw his human life, and he saw what a disaster it was, but then he also could look into the whole universe. And it is really kind of remarkable when you, when you understand the plan of God for man, it has everything to do with the universe. And so, so there's some of these concepts that, that are in this book that I don't think Conrad obviously had the understanding where he could elucidate it even more. And so, so let me just go on a little bit with... Um, Hammett's soliloquy some more. He says, To die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come? And so, so you know, you can know what is on the other side of death. And uh, we also know that, you know, the, the current teaching today is that, well, good people go to heaven and bad people, you know, go to hell. And uh, that patently is wrong. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. And, uh, um, you know, here even Shakespeare, I think, is, is dealing with this, and he's trying to un- understand it. He said, uh, Hamlet goes on, he says, when we have shuffled off this mortal coil, must give us pause. There's a respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes, when he himself might his quietest make with a bare bodkin. In other words, you can just commit suicide. Why do we stay around? He says to grunt and swear under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will. And so, so again, that's just a little bit from, from Shakespeare and from Hamlet. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's very interesting that, that the, the two sound very much like Marlowe. Marlowe and, uh, and uh, Hamlet sounded very much alike. And so, so here's the horror 
you know, it, it, he calls it a truth, a deep understanding. And so, so it, it's, uh, uh, you know, I think Kurtz was able, again, Kurtz was able to see, uh, you know, uh, his own evil heart. But I think also what Conrad is saying here is that Kurtz was able to see the vast universe. And uh, I, again, I haven't talked to Conrad. I won't be able to talk to Conrad for a while. Um, but, you know, the vast universe is man's ultimate potential. Now, if you if you notice in the book, uh, and again, this is page 116 again, he, he goes on to say he was a remarkable man. I mean, and, and it's because he came to this truth is what Marlowe is saying. That's what made him remarkable. He began to understand something that, you know, a lot of people don't. Now, I, I think it's also interesting at the end of the play Hamlet, you know, Hamlet is uh, killed by Laertes, and Horatio is so devastated by everything. This is his good friend. He wants to commit suicide also and drink the poison. And Hamlet says, no, don't drink that. You live to tell my story. And and here it is, you know, here's Marlowe has lived to tell us about Kurtz. And so, I, you know, I find that very interesting. And so, and the, the thing I think that Marlowe wants us to remember about Kurtz is he saw the darkness in his human nature. And if you're going to learn anything from Kurtz, you have to learn the same thing. You have to, to uh, you know, recognize, and of course you can read this in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? And so, so this is what, what I think uh, you know, Marlowe is struggling with, and I think, again, Marlowe is speaking for Conrad, and, uh, but, but this whole book really is focused on that, is that we have to, if, if we're, if we're going to really understand what human life is all about, if we're really going to, to uh, see what our futures are like, we're going to have to face our own evil. Well, now that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, I'll continue our final summary of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, and I'm going to be using some of Marlowe's thoughts as he returns to the sepulchral city. And so this means that in just a few weeks we'll begin our discussion of Lord Jim, so you may want to buy a copy of that book now and start reading. You can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com, and you may be also able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.